And welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Seckley. With me as always, your beat writer for The Athletic. His nut grafts are sweet and tender like honey lemon chicken. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing? <laughs> doing all right. Not always a big believer in the nut graph. You know, not the traditional nut graph in a, in a news story. It, it depends on the story, but I don't buy into it as much as oh. some people. Also, the goal for this week's pod is to have all of the dog not be so noisy in the background. We'll see you know, I think out. the people are okay with some olive noise. I, I don't think that's something that, you know, we're all dog lovers here. I think the majority of our listeners would be dog lovers as well. And, you know, if you're annoyed by a dog being a dog, you know, something wrong with you. You know, there's something wrong with you. We, <laughs> you know, that's the that's the reality of having yourself a nice little pal. Uh, I'm obviously in Dallas, and obviously you are in Detroit. Um, I got snow flurries right now, Cody, in in Dallas. And now they're not going to stick. It's really just, you know, they're melting as they come to the ground or whatever. But it got me thinking about a common regional thing when it comes to weather so i've lived in my life for an extended period of time and i define an extended period of time by like three months in one place so like a summer you know uh at least so i've lived in new york upstate new york i've lived obviously in oklahoma many years in college and stuff and obviously dallas area texas and let me tell you Anytime you go somewhere and you talk to locals, there's two things. One, they think their weather is more extreme than any other place. And two, they also think that their weather changes more than any other place. So Mm -hmm. two examples. When I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a summer, working at the Tulsa World newspaper, which is where you got your professional journalism start. Um, I was talking to a colleague, and he was like, are you ready for these Oklahoma summers? I was like, well, I mean, I you know, I go to school in Oklahoma. I've lived here during the summer before. I'm also from Dallas. So, yes, I think I can handle the Tulsa, Oklahoma heat. <laughs> like, it gets hot, just like it does where I'm from. It was kind of weird that he was sort of trying to uh, one-up me and think, you're not prepared for the Tulsa, Oklahoma summers. It's like, okay, dude. Two, I've noticed, as I'm an avid listener of Tigers games on the radio via the MLB app or the SiriusXM app, kind of changes. There's a air conditioning company, and I, I can't remember the name of it, but they have this thing where it's like, well, they say about Michigan weather, if you don't like it, just wait a day and it will change. Let me tell you something. As I said, we got snow flurries right now in Dallas. Yesterday, it was 74 degrees. When I lived in New York, quick transitions were also a thing. Living in Oklahoma, quick transitions, also a thing. I'm pretty sure outside of the areas of this country, like California where the and maybe like Arizona where the weather is basically the same all year, I'm pretty sure this is just a thing about climate. No one is really that special. That that's my thing. That's my that's my beginning of podcast rants about weather. Weather changes quickly in every place I've ever lived. Big time agreement with you here. It usually comes from people who haven't lived other places and don't realize <laughs> it's the same. Uh, yeah, I've heard it in the Texas Panhandle. Heard it in Oklahoma. Pretty sure I've heard it in Minneapolis and Chicago and even. DC and San Francisco, like the only place the weather doesn't change is like San Diego and maybe or probably even people in Orlando like we're like, oh, you know, that you never know when it's going to rain. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, the true outliers are the places where the weather is consistent. The weather can fluctuate in Michigan, but I would also say it's a little more consistent up here than uh, than like the Texas, Oklahoma area because I'm, I'm reading the daily forecast right now. We've got highs of 18, 32. 31, 32, 39, 20, 22, 28, 24. No snow in that forecast. It's just going to be really cold for like the foreseeable future. It's actually going to be pretty consistent. 
you know, you could probably speak to this more than I could, but one of the things I've sort of like tried to categorize, because I got a lot of family up in New York, as, as I've mentioned before, and they say, you know, we get, we get like hundreds in the summertime, and they kind of think it's the same, and it'd be like me being like, oh, it's 28 degrees right now. I, I understand what it's like to live in Michigan. The main difference there is that, like, in Texas and Oklahoma, the the summer heat is just a constant beatdown. There's no reprieve from it. And I imagine, tell me if I'm wrong, as someone who's lived in both regions, the winter weather is is the same thing, where it's like it's just like a beatdown because it's constant. There's no reprieve from it. Is that is that a fair assessment? That's definitely how I feel. I don't necessarily mind the cold days. What I don't like is when it's cold for three months straight and there is no reprieve (laughs) like yeah like we were talking last week there will be some snow in Amarillo Texas it can snow quite a bit you'd be surprised but two days later it might be 70 and you're on the golf course you know I've literally played golf with like snow melting you know off to the side in in like January in Texas Um, so there can be a reprieve there that's definitely the big difference yeah yeah and I will say this I've I, you know, I, w- I would like for someone to further this theory because I read it years ago as we transitioned into strictly baseball stuff that a lot of scouts like pitchers from the north because the climate, maybe if there's a heavy influence of like indoor facilities and stuff like that, it kind of changes. This was years ago, like I said. But pitchers don't have as much mileage on their arms because they physically can't pitch as often as they can down here. I wonder if that's still a thing because, you know, you know, uh, having played baseball in high school, like workouts, serious workouts would be starting here pretty soon if you were in high school in Texas. I Outdoors as well, by the way. But I imagine like in Michigan, it's probably different. I could be wrong, but I, I did hear that theory because it was uh, it was in relation to John Smoltz. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he I, was saying it, but someone was sort of like referencing him as a guy who's from Michigan. It's like scouts like pitchers from the from north because they just physically aren't thrown as often as people in Texas or Florida or you know California because especially some of those other places you can kind of do it year round. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that before. I would say that's probably less of a thing now than, than maybe it used to be just because if you're a serious baseball prospect, you're probably still working out almost year-round, whether it's indoors or whatever. I've never played high school baseball in Michigan, so I don't know how we handle it, but I know that there are uh, the kids up here who are serious are still playing a lot of baseball. I, I, you know, it was probably more of a thing in like the '80s when it was true. You were, you know, you were only playing baseball during baseball season, and the baseball season probably wasn't as long up in the northern parts of the country. Well, specialization in sports is something I'm very much against, but that is a topic for another time. Uh, this week, Cody, on the athletics, so. It's kind of like a dual benefit here. So if you worked at a newspaper, I'm sure you would have amazing colleagues at said newspaper. Chances are you would not have a colleague that was a former Major League Baseball general manager. (laughs) You're at The Athletic. You have access to that, among other things, but you have access to that. And thus, we as readers have access to that sort of information as well jim bowden you did sort of a it's not really like a q a it's kind of a discussion point bounce off thing um there's probably a better term for it but that's kind of how i interpret it uh a guy who has a wealth of obviously experience working in front offices in baseball and is still like a prominent member of like the baseball media community and 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 well trusted um i'm curious as you wrote this story or collaborate on the story i should say um were you able to kind of pick anything off because he's looking at it from a macro perspective and then you being the beat writer you have the micro perspective and i think that's actually a really good balance to have did you pick anything off from him in terms of what his ideas were and for people who haven't read the story you should but basically it it came down to like the tigers have already done this during the offseason what 
can be done what should they do in order to you know once once the lockout ends if it ends i guess once the lockout ends in order to sort of put this offseason into a firm a which he had already given an a prior to the lockout yeah i'll, I'll share this with our loyal pod listeners here number one Jim Bowden like sent me these answers, you know, via email, and I was more or less had to edit his raw copy. Let's just say that you could tell he's his background was being a GM and not a writer because it took <laughs> it took a little bit of work to get it, you know, uh, where where we could work with it. So I thought that was funny. Um, in terms of his actual perspective, I mean, I think you could see the difference in like the big picture versus more of the. Um, the micro stuff. Bowden is very pleased with the Tigers' offseason. He's been complimentary of it in some of his own writings before, but my thing was kind of, okay, what do they need to do to really put the finishing touches on it? And Bowden was more or less like, well, if they did nothing else, you know, I think he would still give them an A. Um, I think that was just his way of, of kind of complimenting the moves that have already been made. We still went into some discussions, talked about the bullpen, you know, he brought up, seems like he was in favor of that, brought up some names like Andrew Chafin, which is a name we've heard before. Also Colin McHugh, who's a righty. Um, you know, when I mentioned the, the idea of trading for a starting pitcher, and I think this is a fun pod topic. I think that's maybe the one thing we're not really seriously looking at, um, and I don't know if the Tigers are either, but I know the A's and the Reds have some pretty good pitchers basically on the trade block. Basically, guys like Sean Manaya, Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, these teams are kind of saying, all right, we're not trying to pay anyone. Like We're going to trade these, these pretty good pitchers. And I wonder if the Tigers should be in on that. Uh, I asked Jim Bowden that, thinking he might have some insight. He seemed to think the Reds or the A's would want a pretty premium prospect. Um, if that's true, then I don't think the Tigers are in on that conversation at all. But um, they would be interested in trading you know, for a couple middling, mid-tier prospects. I don't know. I think it's something the Tigers should think long and hard about to get that fifth starter rather than... Uh, going into kind of the bargain bin or well that's another thing that we talked about in the story was starting pitching and he actually brought up one name that i'm not sure the tigers would be willing to spend on and that was carlos Rodon. yeah um the contingency with Rondon is obviously health related and complicated further i would say by like once this lockout ends what's his activity level going to be like from his agent like what kind of access is going to be granted um normally in that situation you look at sort of like high reward medium to low risk but in that story with the amount of dollars wasn't necessarily low risk although the years uh the year element the length element could be considered low risk um I don't know. That one's a little bit there. That one's one of those things where I read it and I was like, there's so many extenuating circumstances that I don't even know how to speculate. Does that make sense? Like, like when it, when it, when it actually, when the floodgates open, which is another thing that was talked about when the floodgates open, like where does the point of attention go? And, and, and he's a curious case that I almost, I have no I have no basis to have an opinion on. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's a hard thing to project. I don't think we know exactly what his market will be like. I put in the story MLB trade rumors initially predicted him to get like one year twenty five million. I don't think he's gonna get twenty five million. Um, but I think he could command fifteen to eighteen million for sure. Uh, if it gets, I don't know, if, if we're looking at a crunch time thing before spring training, right after there's a new CBA and multiple teams are trying to lock up a good pitcher, maybe some team with some money would say, you know what, we're just going to pay this guy like a stupid amount for one year and then say, you know, whatever. Um, I don't think the Tigers should allocate $25 million, but let's say his market kind of crashes. Let's say you can get him like two years, 15 a year. I don't know. That's, you know, do you want that? Or do you want like one year of Michael Pineda or one year of um, Garrett Richards or some of these other pitchers that are left on the market? It's a hard one to 
predict, absolutely, just because I could see his market going either way. And that's another thing, too, that I just kind of want to reiterate as we have no choice but to speculate for everybody. Like, we're talking about coming out of a work stoppage for the first time in, what, more than a quarter century or whatever? Like, this is all uncharted water. So I just think as you read people's, like, opinions and projections, all that stuff needs to kind of be put into account, uh, just generally speaking. Um, but before I want to get to the the prospects, the tier of prospects, be willing to to get a starting pitcher in a second. But one of the things that stood out to me from Bowden, well, let me ask you this: Is he more optimistic about the Tigers, or are you more optimistic about the Tigers? I think Jim Bowden might be a little more optimistic. It, it, I'm not saying I'm optimistic, but he was basically saying, "I like they're good," and I'm, I'm kind of trying to drive home the point of I think they really need to make a couple more finishing touches. Yeah, the big moves are done, uh, but I've said I'd like to see him upgrade the bullpen. And I'd like to see him maybe even get another bat. I brought that up, and uh, he didn't. You know, he was like, "Well, if you really wanted like to spend on Chris Bryant or Michael Conforto, sure." But t- I think we all know the Tigers aren't going to do that. Right, um, and he's very bullish on Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson. Absolutely, thinks both should be on the opening day roster. So, yeah, I think the answer is Jim Bowden. That was my next point: is that he's very bullish on on Green and Torque, and probably pretty pretty well aligned on Riley Green. But I get the sense of I mean, his he lumped them both together there in, in the story or in his responses, I should say. But he was basically like, yeah, whatever. Green's on the, op- or excuse me, Torkelson's on the opening day roster. He's ready right now. Whereas I think you, and I would probably say the majority of people that followed the, followed the Tigers minor league season are like, he could be. Not saying he's not, but what to coin AJ Hinch? Pencil, not pen, on Torkelson, but it seemed like he was going pen, maybe even Sharpie. You know, to be honest, uh, Jim's kind of written this a couple times before. I think, like, the summer after Torque was drafted, he was like, he could debut by the end of the year. I think in at least one story, he predicted Torque to debut last year. So Jim Bowden really likes him some Spencer Torkelson. Man, not uh, that. So it wasn't not a shock, but he's, he's he's been trying to shove him up to the majors for like, <laughs> you know, literally since the day he was drafted. And I think we saw last year that, look, he is a very good hitter. He's an advanced hitter, but he needed some time in the minors. He had, um, number one, probably just some rust to shake off, missing, you know, most of his uh, final season at Arizona State. And he needed a little conditioning and seasoning and and refining of his plate approach as well. That doesn't mean he's not going to be in the big leagues, you know, on opening day this year. We've talked about it. I don't know. I I still think it's 50-50. I think it could happen. I think it could not happen. Regardless, I think we're going to see a lot of Spencer Torkelson. And a side note, because we're going to have a million opportunities going forward to talk about this in depth, but I sort of just want to put this out there. It's okay if he doesn't make the team out of spring training. I think that's one of the things that we, we've discussed on this podcast at various lengths about once the Tigers get to a certain status where they seem like they are sort of like trying to break that glass ceiling, more people come in, maybe the, like the sense of urgency in their minds. I'm talking about fans. Sense of urgency in their minds, like, increases i just don't want it to look at look at it as a failure if torkelson doesn't make the major league squad as spring training i would look at it as a disappointment if riley and green didn't i also wouldn't panic but i'll look at it as a disappointment for torque as you say 50 50 was 50 50 mean it means could go this way could go that way and either way, we're going to be okay, right? Like, I, I just think that's something that we probably should constantly remind people because, you know, number one overall pick, hyped up, had success in the minors, shot up the levels. It's okay. This guy's still young. It's he's He he wasn't a bust when he went, like, what, eight for 50 or whatever. I'm just making one up numbers. One for 32. One for 32 in spring training and then 
kind of had to get his footing a little bit. Uh, just playing professional baseball in general, we're not the same people that call Kate Cunningham a bust three games into his <laughs> NBA career are going to say that Torque is a bust if he doesn't make the major league roster out of spring training. We should have, you know, Pistons fan really needed to pump the brakes then. And we would pump the brakes heavily on this podcast if we got any that kind of activity on Twitter for Torkelson. So I just think that needs to be constantly reminded. With, let's go back to that trading for a starting pitcher. I I just pulled up the, just the MLB pipeline top 40 prospects for the Tigers. Let's kind of figure out what kind of uh, what, what kind of prospect. Just in general, we're not gonna actually like try to put together a trade, but maybe what kind of cornerstone of a trade is comfortable. We can do this for this exercise because um, obviously there's gonna be a whole lot of factors. There's gonna be some other guys throw in. There could be a player to be named later. That kind of thing. But right off the top, we mentioned Torkelson and Green untouchable unless it's like give me Juan Soto and like some three team trade and we also get the other team's equivalent of Juan Soto then we could talk otherwise we're we're sitting pretty with Green and Torkelson you're not going to trade Joe when he's never pitched a professional inning so those are the top threes right there is there a world where a Ty Madden or a Dylan Dingler could be a cornerstone. Is it, or or do we need to go below that? Just in general, we're not actually reporting anything. We're just saying like, is there? Where's the starting line? I guess is sort of what I'm curious about. Yeah, I mean, I would not at all trade Job or Dingler. You you kind of draw the line below that though. Um, you know, I don't think you want to trade a guy you just drafted, but you know, Ty Madden. I don't know. You you have a little bit of pitching depth. I don't think you're going to want to move like Wentz or Fiedo, um, because you probably want them pitching in the big leagues this year, but that's an area where you have some maneuverability. So I'm also, I, I would start this list with like a guy who isn't on the top prospects list anymore. Like how about Daz Cameron? He's kind of caught in between AAA and the big leagues right now, but he's got some tools. He's athletic. You know, maybe another team's willing to, to add him for a little outfield depth. So maybe you go like, here's the deal. How about Daz Cameron, Paul Rashawn, and maybe some other guy, Jose De La Cruz, or like some someone in low A, you know, Adinso Reyes, kind of a flyer for maybe you won't even have to do that. It's really going to come down to how bad do the Reds and A's want to unload these salaries. But Daz Cameron and Paul, I mean, Daz Cameron and Paul Rashawn for Sonny Gray. Daz Cameron, Paul Rashawn, Adinso Reyes for Luis Castillo. I don't know. I don't know. If you're the Reds and you're just trying to not pay a guy, you get three somewhat intriguing prospects. Probably not anything anything good, but Daz can play a bit in the majors. Paul Rashawn can be a nice depth arm that's where I would look at making a deal. I would not want to move anyone you see as who's really in your future plans, like a Dylan Dingler or someone who you think could have huge upside, like a Isaac Pacheco, um, Colt Keith. I, I wouldn't move those guys. But some of these guys who seem a little bit fringy, I wonder if you could combine a couple of those guys and, and make an interesting deal. Well, you know... As I just kind of look at it on the surface level, I'm pretty pretty open to moving just about any pitcher outside of Job, and I wanna I wanna develop the positional guys. Maybe maybe that's me just kind of thinking that there's a million pitchers out there, and you can kind of figure it out in a ver- in I would say a more variety of ways then necessarily do you have your third baseman for the next three years? Do you have a guy who could play at shortstop, you know, going forward? Um, You look at the outfielders in the system, and obviously they're not going to be ready this year, but you think, you know, how fringe is the Tigers' fourth outfield spot right now? You know, 
a lot of guys have had their moments, but it's pretty fringe. It's pretty fringe. So even like, you know, the tight mans of the world, you know, you get the, you could throw in like a Dylan Smith. I'm not trying to be dismissive of pitchers and pitching depth in a system, but we saw how quickly they uh, overhauled this past year, or I say overhauled, just you know filled it up with bodies in the draft. I just feel like I would want to bank, I would want to hold closely my positional prospects because they're just they're a little bit more unique in my opinion outside of the extremes like a Job or like when Mize was in the system and you know when Scooble came up and all that stuff and. I, I, I just I, I had I had the bias there Cody am I like am I bad there like I just that that I don't know if I just am misguided in that notion I just have bias toward or I guess against pitchers in favor of positional guys like the Pachecos of the world um I I don't think I'm biased against pitchers but I think the Tigers just have more depth you know when it at, at when it comes to pitching than they do positionally. We've talked about that. They don't have a lot of positional depth in the farm system. You look at pitcher, okay, Jackson Job, Ty Madden, Dylan Smith, Reese Olsen, Joey Wins, Alex Fiedo, um, Tanner Colop, Bo Brisky. Like, those guys are probably, you know, after Job and Madden, those guys are all probably kind of a similar tier. And I think you could afford to part with one or two of them if you were getting you know, a, a more proven commodity in return. That's why I, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem. You know, if you were really going to get Sonny Gray or Luis Castillo, like, I don't know, I wouldn't be opposed to moving Fiedo or Wentz either, although I, I am interested in, to see what those guys can do. But if you're talking about getting someone who you know is good, um, I don't know that I'd be against that. And also, when, when you look at, like, the Colt, I know you mentioned it, when you look at the Colt Keats of the world, like, 20 years old whenever his birthday is whatever those are guys i that like i i want to see kind of i want to see what they are and you're talking about a shorter term deal for like a gray i don't know it just doesn't mesh all that well that that is the thing if you got any of these guys you would be getting them for a year maybe two um also this is why making trades is really hard i know there are probably some tigers front office people like rolling their eyes at us right now because here's the thing everyone wants the colt keith type guy the young guy with upside and no team wants to trade that player every team wants to trade their you know the fifth best pitcher in their system and no one really wants the fifth best pitcher in return Um, but we've seen what happened already with the reds in acquiring tucker barnard Nick Quintana, whatever, the, like the Reds just weren't going to pay Barnhart. It was a little different because they had, um, you know, another guy ready to assume the starting catcher position at the big league level. But the Tigers have already made one of these trades where they got a proven player for essentially nothing. So could it happen again? Could it happen with one Parker of these Parker Meadows for Sonny Gray? Parker. All right. Yeah. Sign me <laughs> up for that. <laughs> Poor Parker. <laughs> I mean to drag the guy, but uh, by the way, he's listed at six five two oh five. Maybe he's finally put on some muscle. I don't think I've seen him really? listed plus plus two hundred pounds. Have you? Um, I. He doesn't look I like it. I don't film. really know what he's been listed at. I know he is very skinny now. Six five. You would hope you could pat. Um, hope you could get over two hundred when you're six five. I also don't know if he's six five. I'd say more like six three. Just based on having stood next to him, but yeah, if he hasn't put on some muscle, he he probably needs to. Twenty two years old now. Again, depending on his birthday, I'm just looking at the listing. Wow. Uh, old fast. Not a. Uh, and I'm not trying to accuse anybody of being old when they're twenty two, but in terms of when you draft <laughs> a guy out of high school and then you're twenty two years old, uh, we're on the home stretch of prospect lists. That's a good way to put it, and as he currently stands, he's just behind Daniel Cabrera, who is a little bit older, but again, was a college guy. Maybe he has not gone up as much as would be anticipated, but has a little bit more seasoning, as they say. So, 
Here's a, here's a fun note. A couple athletic writers pointed this out um, last week when the company was sold to the New York Times, as we talked about. We sit here and speculate on basically people's job statuses, like for a living. We're yep. sitting here like, oh, should Parker Meadows get traded? Oh, like, this guy Parker sucks. Meadows still any good. Hey. <laughs> and so when that happened, you know, there were just random people on Twitter being like, oh, this probably means uh, the New York Times is going to lay off half of the athletic staff, you know. And it was like, I had a like a tab searching on Twitter, just like the athletic NYT. And I was sitting there watching it and I was like, this is... It's making my blood pressure rise. It's making me very anxious. There was no, like, basis. It was just random people, like, speculating, you know? And I was like, okay, I guess this is what yeah, it feels like. Like, like so, two guys know, on a apologies podcast. To, <laughs> apologies to Parker Meadows and everyone else we uh, speculate about all the time. I know it, it sucks. Also, though, these guys make a lot more money than I do, so I think I think that makes it a little bit different. Yeah, and they're more public figures, and, uh, you know, it, it's funny, because I, when this, when we were just talking off-air, when the, the New York Times deal went down, I, like, sent you an article that was written by, like, another website or whatever, and I was like, tell me your perspective on this, and it was sort of, I don't know, to me, it seemed like asking the athlete, like, when there's, like, an inside the locker room story, it's like, what's real, what's not, and it's like, oh, this is overgeneralized, and, yeah, you know, this, there's been a lot of that, it's like this is reports that I see, accurate, but, like, they're yeah. kind of missing the ball a little bit, you know, it, it yeah. puts you there's in a, a different light. There's a lot like, truth, and, like, rooted in truth, and it's not wrong, but seems kind of overblown like I've, I've read a lot of that in the past couple of weeks it's interesting to be on that side of it yeah it's uh gain a little more perspective i guess maybe in, in certain fashion so all right well you know as i look at this uh as i look at this prospect list there's a couple guys on there in the top 10 that are really really young uh, Roberto Campos, Campos, which 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 one is it? I've I've heard it both ways. And uh, Christian Santana, a couple teenagers still that were international signings as we record this weekend. The Tigers were in the news again for some international signings that you know you're talking you know some some seven figure deals, some six figure deals to some. I'm talking about teenagers, I'm talking about like guys that can't drive or could barely drive. Uh, we don't have to get into it because that that's that's a fool's errand to try to really like project these guys that a we haven't watched b they're so young. Um, but one of the things of note when I was reading the MLB.com story is that the Tigers are quote one of the most active teams on the international market in recent years, and the front office has been justifiably so scrutinized. The moves haven't necessarily lend themselves to being no one would accuse ownership and management of being free spenders the past couple of years put it lightly um but what does that mean like what 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 does that actually like entail how big of a piece of the pie of building a major league roster or not a major league roster but a major league ball club and everything that it entails is these two point two million dollar signings, these eight hundred thousand dollar signings to sixteen year olds. Like, what are we to make of the Tigers being labeled as one of the more active teams on the international market? What does that really mean? Well, I think kind of our most educated listeners, the ones who follow the entire organization most closely, know this, but the Tigers have really shifted their philosophy on the international market in the past, you know, probably three to five years. Whereas in the mid 2000s, the Tigers were known to spread out their bonus money and sign kind of go for um, quantity over quality thinking these guys are all kind of lottery tickets. Let's sign a bunch of dudes, maybe one of them pops a little bit. Well, other than Willie Adamas, who is no longer with the organization, and I guess Eugenio Suarez, who's no longer with the organization. Constant reminders on Twitter of those guys, by the way. <laughs> the Tigers uh, really did not have much luck at all on the international market for a long time. In recent years, they've kind of 
shifted that philosophy, been handing out some big bonuses, guys like Campos, guys like Christian Santana. Um, this year they get a shortstop, Javier Osorio for $2.2 million. Another shortstop, Samuel Gill for $1.2 million. Osorio was uh, Baseball America's number 10 international prospect. Gill was number 21. So in terms of being more active, I think it means they're more in on these big ticket guys a little bit. Um, and I think having, I like the international world of baseball is crazy. It's still very much kind of the Wild West. I cannot pretend to be knowledgeable about these players or not even the process all that much. But I do know it's a big part of building an organization. And Cabrera was one of those guys. Miguel Cabrera. Who Juan are some Soto. of the best players in baseball right now? Okay, Juan Soto, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., you know, Ozzie Albies, like the Atlanta Braves, uh, who decided <laughs> a GM get banned for life for uh, basically <laughs> cheating on the international market. Well, they've had a lot of success, uh, you know, with, with international players. And right now that is something kind of missing in the Tigers organization. I've written about it before. Like, how much does it change the entire complexion of everything if Roberto Campos develops into like a superstar level prospect? I'm not saying that's going to happen. Uh, the guy has no plate discipline right now, so he's got a lot to work on there. But he's also like 18, so who knows? I mean, it it could change the direction of everything. Um, now you're seeing, you know, Gregory Soto is probably one of your bigger international successes in a yeah. while. Since the Tigers have started spending big, all these guys are still in the very low rungs of the minor leagues. So we're a couple years away from knowing if this change in philosophy is going to work. Um, but that, you know, the Tigers have also, I think, poured more resources into international scouting, trying to identify the best guys and be financially competitive to sign them. Um, and we will see if that improves kind of the product and from their international pipeline. You know, I'm actually not anti the lottery ticket idea, just in general. Like, there's still lottery tickets, even if you spend more. Exactly. Still, Roberto Campos is a lottery ticket. More like expensive. More expensive lottery, lottery, ticket. lottery yeah. tickets. Uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not anti that philosophy, but I'm also, you know, as you know, I'm a big fan of when teams, organizations, coaches, general managers, sort of pivot. And realize, like, hey, this, you know, we can go about this a different way and not be stubborn. And that's obviously been occurring. You're very right to point out that the fruits of this, or lack thereof, potentially, uh, won't be known for a while. And that's okay. That's uh, that's what one of the things that makes baseball, hockey's like this too, pretty unique, is that no one's going to see Campos really play. Like, no one's going to actually, like, really watch him play. No one's going to see these guys. Um, part of it also, I'm sure, there's probably, like, a college football recruiting similarities where you or you know major college basketball as well where you you know it's relationship based and uh and in whatever region you are and maybe make some signings that you don't necessarily feel as great about but you think it could pay off in other ways down the line and there's a lot that goes into it it but as as we sit here in the weekend of you know january 16th you know it's it's nice to see, if, if you're a Tigers fan, it's nice to see your favorite team sort of active doing something um, mid-lockout uh, during the the grind of the offseason, trying to make some moves to make your team better. Also, one point I've got to make, we'll see, it's kind of faded into the background of the CBA negotiations now, but like, why is there not an international draft? Like I said, this stuff is the Wild West. It's been reformed a little bit in recent years, but it's still some of these players basically come to under the table deals with teams when they're like 13, 14, 15 years old. Like you said, there are these international academies and instructors that'll kind of steer players towards certain teams. There's this complicated bonus system. It's not really fair, I think, to a lot of the players just because the system is messy that sometimes they can get taken advantage of. And, like, they really know what's going on, you know? Yeah, most of them have, like, no. I mean, I've talked to guys like this who are like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, And, yeah, like, I think there needs to be an international draft big time. I think it might clean up some of the game. I think it would be – it would make things a lot more fair – 
for teams as well. Uh, like I, I badly hope there's an international draft to come very soon. And I think there will be eventually. It's just a matter of when. Is there anything worth talking about with like the union and, and Major League Baseball formally for the first time getting to the table this week? I, I read some stuff and it was like, it wasn't a nothing burger, but it was like, all right, they threw out some ideas and just like any sort of like first offer was never going to be like, oh, on the players union. Oh, came to me with this idea. That was awesome. That, that, that I've been waiting for that for 43 days. Let, look, let's sign. We're all good. All right. Lockout over. You know what I mean? Like I thought about yeah, like should we should, should we like talk about it or whatever? But I was like th- I don't know. Was anything really of substance? You know what I mean? There it sounds like there was nothing of substance. Sounds like they met for forty minutes and were like, all right, here's kind of a half-ass proposal. And then more players were like, no, like this sucks. And I was like, all right, we'll talk again in a week or two. I guess it's good that they met. Like there was finally some movement. There was a meeting. Sure, yeah. I think the first meeting, whether it was January 1st or January you know, 13th or February 1st, was always going to be a nothing burger because that's how negotiations work. So I wouldn't make anything of it. I, I guess the good news is now this ball is rolling a little bit. So maybe the next meeting becomes a little more substantive. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's not obvious. It's obviously more good than bad that they met, but I was... I'll just say this. I was not holding my breath over uh, over this first initial meeting. So, all right. I think uh, everyone's accepting that spring training is not going to start yeah, on time. We, I also don't think anyone cares because did, everyone did, knows that spring training is too long. Did you buy your spring training tickets that were offered? This I was week? about to bring that up. The Tigers, though, out of some optimism, are marketing their spring training tickets right now. So if you want to buy uh, tickets to some of those early games, good luck. You i'm not sure how that's gonna work out for you but good luck well maybe well when it was we don't have to go too long to this but the minor leaguers are still all good when the minor leaguers is gonna start spring training well this is another thing that's a little bit overlooked there the spring training could start on time with the minor leaguers uh which is interesting I think that also makes it interesting. Okay, so if you're the Tigers, what are you doing with, like, Torque and Green? Uh, some, like, top prospects are actually, like, members of the player union, players' union because it was, you know, part of, um, like, their conditions upon being drafted. So I actually don't know if, like, Torkelson could be a member of the union, even though he's not on the 40-man. I don't know if he is or not. Um, so that would be interesting. It'd be interesting for me. Like, and, okay, so am I going to go to spring training one time to, like, watch some double-A guys? Like, that doesn't quite seem worth it. But also, there's there's nothing else going on. Like, maybe it is worth it. So these are things I got to figure out. I got to figure out what well, I'm going to do with my dog. You got like, New York like, Times nice to have some money answers. now, bro. You got some New York <laughs> Times know. money now, dude. So, like, go 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 become the expert on the international prospects for the Tigers. You know, that, you well, that, that I, could be I, your thing. If the Times will pay to, like, board my dog, <laughs> that's really what I'm worried about, you know. <laughs> well, as I as I go through just uh, just an article about some of the things that were proposed, uh, some of that sal- – I don't really want to talk salary stuff, money stuff, because obviously that's really what drives it, so I'm not dis- discounting it at all. But I feel like there's going to be more fudging of that just generally speaking, in the negotiation back and forth, and there are certain things I feel like are more cut and dry. Uh, increased playoff participation, I feel like, is pretty cut and dry. Seems like it's going to happen. Pretty big deal for the Tigers. Very big deal for the Tigers. Um, the format has not been leaked if it were to go to 14, I believe. So uh, yeah. do we do one-game playoffs and then three like uh, the, the, that I, I think that's what it's been like kind of pitched as but there was some weird stuff where like the top team gets to choose its opponent which seems wild like i i don't know what the exact format will look like i'm pretty anti team chose opponent oh that's ridiculous yeah i like some people think it's like kind of cool but i just kind of no. i feel like that's kind of 
I don't know if this will upset people, but it's kind of amateur hour in my opinion. Like, like so. play the team that you are slotted to play, and then we'll go ball. Also, if you were that team, like, would you really want to like tick off? Like, oh yeah, I choose you because I think you're so crappy that we're gonna, you know, work you. Like, I don't know. Like, what what team would really yeah, want to? I think the rationale is like, okay, so if we start letting in like what two more wild cards per division or whatever uh you could have a division winner that ends up playing a really good team like think about the the nl west last year with the dodgers and and giants which i don't know they ended up playing each other anyway but like i think it's that dynamic it would be a workaround to maybe get your division winner um like an easier division series matchup but it'll be kind of a mess regardless so i don't know what do you think about a team getting a draft pick when they put a top 100 prospect on the opening day roster? As sort okay, of a, I guess that compromise. would help to, uh, yeah, de incentivize service time manipulation. But I think that's stupid. Like you're, like you're a draft pick. Like that's a pretty big reward for just putting a guy who's good on the major league roster. I think, I don't know. I don't like it. It might work though. It might work. I mean, I. It's one of those things where I like it better than as things stand. Is it correcting the issue? No. But would I rather have that as opposed to manipulation? Yes. So I'm not anti that idea. Um, I think we're both pretty clear that we're in favor. In NBA, it's called the luxury tax, but in in Major League Baseball, it's the what is it? The uh, competitive balance tax is that what they call it? Um, increasing that, uh, as I said last week, I really I think that's fictional. Like the, like like in terms of like competitive balance, you know, it, it, it's fiction, as Mike Gundy would say. Like I, I don't really think it adds. You could argue the salary cap in other sports like doesn't really necessarily add competitive balance so like a lot of these things i'm not when when owners try to like squeeze it i'm like come on dude like you're selling me a bill you're, you're selling me some beans right now and ain't no beanstalk gonna grow like it it, it to me it, it it's kind of phony so anything that's raising that threshold i'm gonna be all in because it just gives away the excuse that owners would make in my opinion yeah i like raising that threshold i actually really like having a salary floor and i know owners don't like that yeah, at all but i like I hope that the players are able to get that through and as i just sort of like go about it in my mind a little bit i kind of think you know there there'd be some crunching of the numbers and and some uh details and that would have to work that be worked out and T's crossed and I's dotted, but when you kind of say it out loud, it's not as complicated as uh, as we would be led to believe with a work stoppage for the first time in a quarter century. Like, all right, we'll give you this, you get that, you know, you know, we get this, you get that. I feel like any mediator, if we have any lawyers that listen, any mediator could probably solve this divorce in a in a minute. But yeah, that's all right. Um, we still have time, but I do agree with you. We are definitely going to um, see a delay in spring training, and that's probably when the clock starts. Not probably. That is when the clock starts. Uh, Definitely first quarter, because as you said, spring training, you could also argue, it was too long anyway. So we're going to, it's not when pressure is going to be felt, but when the clock starts. So let's move on to the uh, cop connection of the week. Um, if you guys listened last week, I, in a desperate attempt to figure out some fun things to do on the podcast, I said, you know, how 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 long would it take me to go from members of the Tigers all the way to Ty Cobb, who obviously was the first all-time great player in franchise history? Last week I did AJ Hinch. I kind of cheated, did his playing days with the Athletics. I tried when he played for the Tigers, but that would have been 
really long. There's a lot of young guys on that team. He did play with Dean Palmer. Well, they were on the team at the same time, but I did. I wanted guys that played in the same game together as a connection, and uh, Dean was hurt that year a lot. So mm. this week, start out with Miguel Cabrera. So I'll just kind of read it down. Miguel Cabrera on September 19th, 2003, while a member of the Florida, then Florida Marlins, now Miami Marlins, uh, his rookie season was in the lineup, actually back-to-back in the lineup with Jeff Conine. Jeff Conine on September 19th, so 13 years later, or prior, September 19th, 1990, was in the lineup with George Brett while members of the Kansas City Royals. And the funny thing about that game is that the lineup went George Brett, Bo Jackson, Jeff Conine. And he was a really young player at that time. Can you imagine being after Brett and then Bo Jackson (laughs) in the starting lineup? Uh, So George Brett's the next connection. George Brett on September 19th. So this was actually unintentional. I just kind of figured out how long i could go with september 19th september 19th 1974 obviously with the royals he was uh on the field that day with orlando cepeda who pinch hit in that game um as a older player orlando cepeda on june 11th 1960 while a member of the giants was in the lineup or was on the field with a guy named dave philly who also came in as a pinch hitter Dave Philly, who was old at that time, September 10th, 1941, was in the lineup with Luke Appling, Hall of Famer, for the White Sox. Luke Appling, on July 4th, 1931, batted right in front of a young man named John Kerr. John Kerr, on May 17th, 1923 was in the starting lineup with one Tylus Raymond Cobb while a member of the Detroit Tigers Cobb also was manager at that time so in between Miguel Cabrera and Ty Cobb Jeff Conine George Brett Orlando Cepeda Dave Philly Luke Appling and John Kerr one two three four five six so there you go your Cobb connection of the week um also for whatever it's worth i just figured i'd throw this out there ty cobb was 479 444 and 10 i assume those are like rainouts, not like ties uh mm-hmm. as a manager because obviously we keep in mind or darkness uh calls you know this is prior to having lights or whatever his win percentage of the tigers manager 519 not bad not bad. Not bad at all uh, as a player manager. Well, you know, <laughs> above 500, you look at uh, – I just yeah, saw this on Twitter yeah. today. There's only, I think, like 12 MLB teams in their history that are above 500. The Tigers are one of them. Wow. Uh, it's not a long list. It might be a little bit more than that. I'm just kind of remembering, but it's not a long list uh, of teams above 500. Ty Cobb is a player manager. Had an above 500 record, I believe, was credited with sort of nurturing the hitter of uh, Harry Heelman um, into the Hall of Famer that he was. And also of note, because I've read about a million Cobb biographies, he uh, moved the bullpen at Old Navin Field to where it was in the bleachers, you know, in the outfield, as we think of bullpens now, for the most part. He didn't like having a reliever warm up. On the on the in foul territory, as the pitcher is, uh, you know, the pitcher in the game is on the mound and has to see that. I don't hmm. know if he was the first to make That's that, yeah. but I think that I was that. one of the that was one of his innovations with the franchise as a whole. So there is your might, Cobb connection. Uh, of the week. Might be coming back with all sorts of Cobb tidbits next week. There's a chance I will be attending the Ty Cobb Museum down in Georgia, going down to report on another fun story that hopefully you guys will get to read. Eventually. I'm jealous. Royston? Yeah. I, uh, I've always wanted to go, but it's hard to find an excuse. I always say if my buddies get uh, win the Masters lottery, 
yeah. I'll uh, yeah. I'll go with them, and I don't even care about like obviously I, I'm not a big golf guy, but I recognize how great the Masters are, so like I would go, but I don't make me a priority, you know. Just like I'll go with you, and then I'll just hang out in Augusta where Cobb played some ball, or just drive over the Royston. So, uh, so yeah, that'd be pretty fun. Um, for our uh, college chronicles, we're in the midst. This is a baseball podcast, but. We're in the midst of the NFL playoffs. And I'll allow it this time since we're in a lockout. There's really not much else to talk about. Very fair. Very fair of you, Cody. And this is a great story. Yes. Uh, and you're going to have to start this one out because you're the one that had this first encounter. We've talked a lot about just random people that we would bump into in, in our college days. Perhaps the most puzzling was a man in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I say a man. He was probably a little bit more than college age. He wasn't old, though. Who claimed to be Tom Brady's cousin. So I will let you take it from there, and then I'll fill in my specific anecdote with this guy. Hmm. Man, it's a little fuzzy, but, you know, we were in Stillwater. We were at a bar called um, Stonewall Tavern. Which is actually a terrible place. <laughs> yeah, we used to call it the American Cancer Society because we hated it, it so is, much. It was kind of more of like the hip hipster type mm-hmm. bar, you know. And Kieran's college girlfriend and and you know one of our mutual friends would would always go there. So we would get dragged there sometimes. And you know it always smelled terrible and had just a bunch of sketchy characters inside. One of those sketchy characters. Uh, was a man wearing like a Tom Brady. I think it was like a jersey T-shirt. And I think the Patriots were on, like, as a playoff game or something. And the guy just kind of comes over, and he was all sorts of intoxicated. And he's just like, I'm Tom Brady's cousin. And that, (laughs) I'm pretty sure, was, like, how he introduced himself, you know. He really wanted everyone to know he was Tom Brady's cousin. Um, The guy was really a wreck of a human being. I saw him three, probably three or four times. He was just hammered every time I saw him. Um... And his name was Bud, which was really fun. <laughs> like, just, like, Bud. Okay. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, Bud, you know, Bud, all I remember is Tom Brady's cousin, Bud, was just hammered and spilled, like, I think it was a pitcher. Just, like, he had a pitcher of beer, and he, like, spilled a lot of it all over the table. And I was already just feeling kind of bad for this guy. Not bad. I thought he was just a, a, um, a joke, but, like... You know, he was hammered, he really was trying to be Tom Brady's cousin, he was trying to hit on this friend of mine at the time, you know, and he spilled the beer, and I just kind of looked at him and went, oh, bud. (laughs) That's how I met, supposedly, either he was actually Tom Brady's cousin, or it was like the worst attempt to pick up women of all time. Yeah, and also an interesting strategy to do that uh, in front of... Because, you know, you're with a female friend and just a friend at the time, but obviously he doesn't know that. So, yeah. like, kind of a bold strategy, and that lends to... Because I heard about him after you encountered him, and so later we're all out, and he comes up, and maybe this is, like, my mind just, like, playing it as I think it, and maybe he wasn't, but I always kind of envisioned him in a Michigan Brady jersey. Um mm. Maybe I'm wrong, but that just—that's the image I have in my head. It's kind of a tall, you know, kind Just of gawky, guy. gawky guy, yeah. you know. Um, one of those physiques that you obviously tell, like you know, was never like an athlete, never like really like you know worked out or whatever, you know. Um, so I'm with again my my college girlfriend, and we're just hanging out at, at the Stone Wall, and he comes up and he like introduces himself now again i had heard about this guy before so i knew who you know what his deal was or whatever and so i'm standing right next to my girlfriend like and 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 he like just kind of comes up interrupts whatever the hell we're talking about and says like hey i'm bud or whatever and like shakes her hand and you know she like 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 most girls in that situation she's trying to be nice she's not obviously she's not really interested in like talking to this dude but like is trying to be nice and says oh hi i'm you know whatever and 
up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. This guy will not let go. Like, he is <laughs> hanging on to her hand. And, you know, me being the progressive-minded individual that I am is like, you know, like, my girlfriend doesn't need me to, like, punch out a guy because he looked at her, right? That's That's immature behavior. I don't do that. But I'm looking at this, and I'm like... So I, like, raise my, my hand up, and I sort of, like, separate them, just kind of swat down. And I'm like, dude, enough. Like, <laughs> 10 seconds is a long handshake, and she's obviously very uncomfortable with this. Like, enough. Smack. Like, just, like, move on. You know? Like, that was so weird to do. And he, obviously, heavily intoxicated, just kind of, like, tried to process it, I'm sure failed to process it, and then kind of went on his merry, uh, merry way. Now, in fairness, I don't know if this was the same night or if it was another night. Either way, it's really weird. The, like, by far, like, the creepiest thing I've seen while out, you know, in our college days, going out to bars, staying out till closing time, all that stuff was this guy standing at the exit. That's right. And this particular bar, like, basically everybody exited the outdoor area, so he, so it's like, you know, it's like a wooden fence, you know, in their beer garden area or whatever. And there's two doorways, essentially, outside to exit. And he's standing right in the middle of them. And every girl that passed by either exit he's like putting his hand out and saying like hey i'm bud or you know to the left and obviously they just keep you know that girl keeps walking hey i'm bud you know to the right and it's like every single one i was like dude what are you doing (laughs) what is this ish like this is as creepy a thing as i said like i said as i've ever seen the odds on this man being Tom Brady's cousin are pretty slim. I guess it's possible. Brady's from California, disguising Stillwater, Oklahoma. It's not impossible. I would bet the deed on the house that I currently am potting from that he was not actually related to Tom Brady. But it was one of those things. I'll always remember like the handshake just like going on and on, just like you know, that real creepy vibe and just being like, enough, dude, enough. And then seeing him, like, try to, like, essentially pick up girls while standing right outside the exit of a bar. Because the, the little bit of the backstory is that those people we just mentioned didn't like going to the bars that Cody and I like to frequent because they were, like, less comfortable there. And I'd always be like, uh, excuse me, that never happened at J.R. Murphy's. No. Just no. saying. So, Tom Brady's cousin, not nearly as successful at probably anything in his life as Tom Brady, but nonetheless, still tried to ride his coattails. (laughs) (laughs) Which, if he wasn't a creep, I would actually kind of think it was kind of a fun in. But he was a creep, so... uh, I don't. We we talked about Suit Guy. Like, I thought Suit Guy was a, you know, very respectable um, bit or venture... Like if I almost think he might have been Tom Brady's cousin because if he wasn't like did he really think that that was gonna like get him women? <laughs> I'm gonna wear a Brady jersey. I'm gonna wear another man's name on my back and I'm gonna say I'm his cousin. Like all that, it's, it's not even like we found it cool. We're like sports fans. I think the second time I met him, I was like, I, I like to do this. I like to hype people up when I'm actually making fun of them. I yes. think I went up to him and was like, dude, aren't you Tom Brady's cousin? <laughs> oh, that's so awesome, man. Oh wow, like that's crazy. You know, and I was not impressed uh, with this fact. I didn't care. It should be noted that if you were going to try to pick up women claiming you were Tom Brady's cousin, on the list of bars in Stillwater, Oklahoma, that that would work. (laughs) The Stonewall Tavern is pretty much in last place. Not a lot of sports fans at that point. Not not a lot of... That's the kind of bar, and if, if people out there have friends that, you know, don't, 
care anything about sports. That's the kind of bar where people would be like, they like ironically say like sports ball to talk about sports in general. It's like, yes. Oh, is there a sports ball game on? You know, that's like their hip ironic thing to say. Be some girl wearing one of those shirts that's like go sports, score the points, win the game, and they think it's like a great shirt. Hit hit the yeah. touchdown, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, like so Tom Brady's cousin that that was a very low likelihood of working out, but uh, it was a bad place. And lessons learned in life, Kieran. You're no longer that girl. You found a, a fiance who actually uh, is a sports fan. Mm-hmm. And I no longer talk to my friend, and that's, you know, maybe that's for the best, too, because um, wasted too many nights of our lives at Stonewall Tavern. It's now closed, so fortune favors the just. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So, on that note, uh, we will get out of here. want to thank everybody for listening. want to thank everybody who subscribes on Apple and Spotify, follows us on Twitter. He is at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at TurnCornerPod. If you feel so inclined, you can give us a five-star review. We greatly appreciate it. We're, you know, there's a good chance we might try to sell this to New York Times, all right? So, you know, we got hey. to have good reviews. We got to have good numbers, you know, so... Uh, thanks for bearing with us as we all collectively go through this lockout and and I'm over here in freezing weather in, in Texas and acting like a little baby. So uh, thanks for putting up with, with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for engaging with us uh, as we go through this, what potentially could be a long offseason. So for Cody Stamenhagen, I'm Kieran Stackley. Everybody have a great week. <laughs>